On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we're venturing to the far reaches of the galaxy to determine which is the best of the least for the original Star Trek crew. It's Star Trek the Motion Picture versus Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This episode is featuring the legendary Jim Dietz of HHWLOD Podcast Network fame. another episode of cult cinema cavalcade i'm brandon and as always with me is your co-hoster who knows how to gently go down the stream cullen set phasers to fun cult cinema cavalcade is a bi-weekly movie podcast that features cullen and myself discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic as a disclaimer this episode will contain plot spoilers and may contain harsh language uh, for this episode we pit two films against one another and decide upon our favorite or least offensive, of the two. With Star Trek Beyond upon us, we'll be pitting two of what is generally considered the least favorited of the two original crew journeys, Star Trek, the motion picture, and Star Trek V, the final frontier, against one another. But before we get into things, I want to bring in our guest for the episode. We originally told you we had Randy Schaefer of Premier League Geek, and at one point we did have him, but our recording problems made our original run of this episode unusable. So, this time around, we have Jim D of the H H W L O D Podcast Network. I'm happy to pinch it whenever needed. So, and uh, We love having you here. I would, I would, I don't know, is talking about these movies, uh, is that going against the Prime Directive? Oh, <laughs> it may be. Are we interfering with them in some way? I don't know. If you think it is, you can always uh, email us at mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com, which means, yes, we have a website, cultcinemacavalcade.com. Cullen, where else are we? Uh, we're also on Twitter. You can find us. Uh, our handle is ccavalcade. And uh, we're on Facebook as well. Contact us any by any of those methods. And also, you can comment on our site. Why is that cool? Because you should want to contact us, because we're running a contest going on. Cullen, what, what are we doing for the contest, are we giving away balloons? Are we? Uh, we're actually turning uh, the decision of the next—well, not the next movie, but the, an upcoming movie—up to uh, the listeners. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary, so we want uh, the fans to decide uh, a movie to talk about. We've already got a few in, and I know I've got my top pick of what's been suggested so far. But we still got time before um, we record the episode, so please write in. If you don't, then you are uh, not uh, welcome in society because you can't contribute to it. We're giving back to you, 
the person who wastes your time listening to our podcast. I, uh, <clears throat> I know I'm probably not eligible to vote, but I would vote for Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Oh, there you go. That's if we'll I could. put it in the we'll mm-hmm. put it in the bag. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jim. I was going to ask you if you had a, if, what would you suggest, but okay, perfect. We will show no favoritism. That's just on the list. No final decision has been made. I have the coming VHS in, coming on in August. Uh, Kiss versus the, in the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> if you need the VHS copy, I have one. So. It's, uh, <laughs> Does it come with a VHS player? Uh, no, but I mean, if you need one, I could probably loan you one of mine. I have a backup just in case. They need to. They should. They should do a, a revival Fathom Events screening of that one. <laughs> of a TV movie. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, you're all here because of Star Trek, or because you like our podcast. One of the two. So let's get on with our discussion. Will you please? We're going to start off with Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was the second revival of the franchise five years after the cancellation of the animated series and the first return to live action since the original series cancellation in 1968. It's a film directed by Robert Wise and features the original cast intact all the way down to the return of Yeoman Janice Rand. And joining us for this adventure is Persis Kambata and uh, Stephen Collins, one of the first... Seventh Heaven parent casting in the <laughs> Star Trek universe. Persis Kambata went on to make uh, Warrior of the Lost World and a lot of the, uh, like, uh, quite a few uh, other exploitation movies in Europe after this. And the fame of her being in this movie, such and as Stephen it was. Col- <laughs> and Stephen Collins was uh, molesting children. So. <laughs> Not as widely advertised. Oh, Not as widely uh, the, the movie focuses on a uh, story when an alien spacecraft of enormous power is spotted approaching Earth. Admiral Kirk resumes command of the Starship Enterprise in order to intercept, examine, and hopefully stop the intruder. So, Jim, did you go see this in the theater? This was... I, I did see this in the theater as a kid, and like the hype around this was huge. The marketing was huge like on a Star Wars level before the movie even came out. I remember... This and probably Burton's Batman were like the time that I can remember the hype being just like overwhelming everywhere uh, before the movie even had come out. And uh, then when it came out, and it was disappointing, I guess we could say, or not what we had hoped for, or what have you, or whatever kind you know criticism you have with it, or whatever. I just remember it being a huge uh, event. It was like the event movie when it came out. Um, yeah, I remember how you felt after you left the theater watching this. Sleepy. <laughs> I felt sleepy. I remember because I remember I was because I went in. I'm, I think I'm. Uh, it was 1979. This came out. Yeah, it was 79. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I was 11, and I went in. I was very hyped because my my father and I, my dad really liked the original series. I really loved Star Wars, and here was something you know kind of bridged the two together by having Star Trek in a movie. And we'd watched the the original series together as you know as I grew up. So it's a real family thing. We're all you know. Well, you know, very hyped, very excited, and it was like a regular 9, 8 o'clock show. I remember it just being really long, like overly long, even, you know, a kid's attention span, I know, but I mean, going back and rewatching it, it was overly long and just <laughs> incredibly beige. Like, I've never seen a more beige future. Like, Logan's run wasn't even this beige. I mean, there's so much beige. I, I never realized that until I rewatched it either. But yeah, I remember, like, afterwards, like, just like falling asleep on the way home. Like, all my excitement had drained out, I guess. At, yeah, me, at meeting Viger. Was was the expectation at the time? Was it because you know coming on the heels of Star Wars and Star Wars, you know, being something that probably helped get it more greenlit oh. and out there? Was it? 
this is going to be a Star Trek closer to Star Wars. Was that what people maybe were hoping? Well, they were hoping it would be like a good, Entertaining. A good movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the best thing I ever saw ever written about it was the review that Harlan Ellison wrote after the movie came out. And Harlan Ellison wrote, you know, several screenplays for the original series or whatever. And it's still available online. You can Google it because I just read it when we did our retrospective on the Star Trek movies recently on uh, HHWLOD. But um, he really put it well. It's just like they, um, it, it, this movie was in production hell forever. Um, that they wanted to make it back in after you know a year or two after the series had died, but then the animated series happened, and that kind of extended the franchise. There was more and more talk about it all through the seventies that they were finally going to make this movie. Then after Star Wars hit, they realized it would be bankable. It could be you know, a blockbuster. So they they go went in with both feet, you know, bringing the whole cast back from the original, you know, the new Enterprise, top of the line uh, special effects for the time, you know, uh, Happy Meal tie-ins, like everything going on. And the movie was um, a, a generally disappointment to at least everybody I knew that had seen it. And the reviews weren't that great either, if I remember correctly. So one of the issues is, uh, you know, we've all talked about how this was, you know, around because of Star Wars. This movie got made because of that. But they didn't take a step in that direction. They took a step backwards and mm-hmm. made it more like 2001. And that's not what people wanted at this time. Well, they're yeah. trying to make it, it, the movie, like, it's a cross between 2001 and Solaris. It's like the, the movie with the tone in between, but while it wants to be 2001, it doesn't quite understand what made 2001. Well, also, I mean, remember, in the original series, there were quite a few episodes where they met God, and it was either, God was either crazy, or a child, or a spit, mm-hmm. a, 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 a computer. So this mm-hmm. is almost like a throwback to one of, one of the original series stories, in, in a lot of ways, too. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very much off that, and it was... Yeah, in the seventies they were trying to make a new television series with Phase Two, and this had become come out of an idea for that too, as well. It's like a two-part uh, premiere. That well, I know when working into a movie, uh, Gene Roddenberry's original pitch for Star Trek: The Motion Picture was uh, there would be no conflict at all in the movie, and of course that doesn't make for an interesting story. There has to right. be something for the audience to latch onto, some kind of goal. And, you know, so they shut that down pretty quick. And I think um, because of that, he got he got significantly less control with this movie. Did you uh, see the documentary cast on the bridge about the uh, early days of the next generation and Unbury and everything? What you're saying plays right into that because he's like desperately grasping for like his last, you know, tendrils of control on the franchise uh, as, as, you know, contributing the story to this movie. And like you said, that was a huge problem in the first season of. Uh, the next generation was Roddenberry's edict that it's the future. There is no conflict. You know, we've transcended conflict. So, no conflict, <laughs> no story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, they're meeting th- beings that aren't part of the Federation. Right. So there's going to be conflict. Yeah, you would think. It's some, you know, yeah. Even miss, even you know, at best, miscommunication. You know. Another thing yeah. I, I noticed watching this movie is how long they show us the Enterprise. There is so much space porn. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. From yeah. every angle, it's like from the back, from up on the left side, from up on underneath. The, it's like they really built a nice model, and they wanted to show us. Oh lot. yeah, my my uh, my joke is like one of their social media pages. Oh, uh, a couple years ago, it's like yeah, it's the thirty thirty sixth anniversary of Star Trek the motion picture, and I was like thirty six years, and we're still waiting for the pod to dock on the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like an eternity, and I don't know. It, it's, 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 
I mean, it's two minutes. Or I, th- I think it's only two minutes, but it feels longer. And it's just there's there's no dialogue, and it's just a shot of the ship with uh, with Scotty and Kirk occasionally look at him. They're like uh, looking just looking at blankly at the out of a of a window. That's what, I mean. There's no yeah, di- dialogue. It, there's just the same face. Just it's not even like there's a, a sense of pride or happiness or any kind of emotion when they're looking at it. It's just they look like they're on a ride at Disneyland. They look like, like they're waiting. Like, oh, look. <laughs> they look like they're waiting on a ride at Disneyland. Is what they are. <laughs> well, and when it's so funny, like, when the, they're on the, the pod, the dock with the Enterprise, when they finally end, like, uh, Kirk, you know, says, uh, thank you to Scotty. Like, it's like, okay, that is, it wasn't doing him a favor. I don't, I don't know. I just thought that was so odd. Yeah, or you say, thank you, we're done with that. <laughs> yeah, there's the audience of the same thing. We can you know, on. there's uh, there's more speeds than slow as hell, right? <laughs> like I know we're in space, but let's pick it up a little bit. Yeah, there's two more. Like there's there's that, and there's the moment where they uh, go further into Viger, which is also, oh, but God. that's at least got stuff to look at, or maybe isn't right. just like a ship floating in space, but yeah. it's still got that same effect. Which one thing is like you can't. One, you can't call a movie just like something of the motion picture anymore. It's just, it's just a weird thing. And two, this movie was shot and fully intended to be seen on the big screen. And yeah. therefore, the stuff they're doing with scale and spectacle does not translate on home video years later. Especially like VHS, where a lot of us were introduced to this movie right. of our my generation, where it's just like, what in the hell? You like, you just don't get. What they want you to do is to sit and marvel at these awesome things because, like, you know, Star Wars had the, the cool effects that, you know, the new, good new model work that was there. And 2001 had this, like, stuff you'd never seen before in terms of, like, doing, you know, spacecraft and stuff well. And that's what they're wanting to go for. But it, it's dull. Like, that's not what Star Trek was. Uh, like, it's it's fine to uh, get a sense of the enormity of what they're going into because you know we know that how big uh, we we know the Enterprise is very big and you know there there's a scale where you can see how small the ship is as compared to V'ger and that's fine we don't need to see every single layer of every part of V'ger it's just mm-hmm. like we get it it's big it's ominous like like we got that from the start. We, we we understand like from the beginning that this thing's freaking huge because we see the three Klingon ships at the beginning of this movie. Like it, those three things are dwarfed by V'ger. We don't need more of it. Then they wipe out a whole like space station or whatever. Uh, like yeah. a hu- huge yeah. like uh, space station. Like we, we we know it's a huge ominous force. That's the whole reason Kirk basically um just well he takes the ship over. Mm-hmm. You know that that's why he's like. I thought it would be um, it would have been better if like maybe Kirk had I don't know try to talk to Starfleet like hey look we gotta you know take care of this and they're like what are you talking about you're silly and then Kirk decides to take the ship himself but as it is he just shows up on the ship he's like ah, I'm in charge now Kirk is largely unlikable in this movie yeah he's kind of a blowhard with a bad toupee yeah and mm. I mean nobody in this movie feels happy to be there. No. Character wise, and every I mean, like yeah, yeah. McCoy gets dragged in. He doesn't well, he does be there. this gripe about how there are too many computers. Yeah, like it's all he ever used in the original series were like computers and little wands and stuff. I mean, why? I don't understand why you would gripe about too many computers. And then, um, like Persis Kambata's character Ilya comes on board, and she makes it a point to tell Kirk that she took an oath of celibacy. 
They don't really explain. <laughs> yeah, Randy, when he was on here during our uh, test run of this episode, I guess, uh, he was telling us that her species or whatever, like, if, if like a human comes into contact, just touches them, they're like insanely aroused mm. and such, and so she has to. It's just like a walking erogenous zone. Yeah. Mm. And that's kind of like a, like, like, uh, her and Decker are more or less the basis for Troy and Riker in the next generation. Right. Now, that's obviously done better in next generation, but you mean, you can, you can see those similarities. And also, a Riker's a bit more pervy, which I think is more fun. I I like that better. Plus, he plays a trombone. Riker, Riker's a, a character's more pervy. Decker as a real life actor is more pervy. There you go. <laughs> There's a vital difference there. Well, anytime that you see Decker, he's always got a look on his face of like I not, not I love you, but like, just endless rapture, like looking at someone. But it, but but it's not just when he looks at Alana; it's when he looks at anything. He could be looking at a ham sandwich, and it looks like at any moment he's going to put his dick in it. <laughs> he just he, he, he just everything like I guess the director just like said you love everything you, you you're in love with everything you just want to be a part of everything and you're kind of a captain all right go ahead act he's kind of bitchy to Kirk though well he's Kirk's coming in like peeing like he's pissing on his ship oh I know but you I'm know saying... Decker's yeah Decker's the you know he's the captain and Kirk comes in and he's like now it's mine like the whole bit with the astronaut the asteroid in the wormhole and like Decker uh, tell you. Know, Belays in order of Kirk's, and Kirk like calls him out into his quarters and stuff, and like. Yeah. Well, Kirk puts them in danger because of his like lack of recent experience. Right, he doesn't like, know the ship as well as as Decker does. So yeah, that, I mean, whenever they're together, he's always just seems like smarm, like shooting the shooting the shady smarm at, at Kirk, you know. And that's the thing with this movie. I think Wrath of Khan is the perfect like sequel or follow-up to the, the the series more so than this because this is damn well trying to just like fit in with the series well as the the wrath of khan like picks up where we're at in those lives with those characters and follows it up right like it should and it feels much more of the next logical piece than this with where they're in denial of like what their ages are and have people take backward steps to hit status quo like time has moved on, but it, it doesn't feel like there's a progression of of time. If that makes any kind of sense, like the second one, it feels like you know people that they've moved on, things have happened in their lives. This is just like, well, it's a few years later, and everyone wears pajamas now hmm. as, as, as uniforms. Right, like they're all still in Starfleet except for Spock, I think. Or no, Spock. McCoy gets like <laughs> McCoy gets drafted or something, and then well, they, they go yeah. they go nab yeah they nab McCoy. Who who knows where he was when they got him? Jeez, just it's not. Uh, it's just something doesn't feel right. And then they really don't know what to do in this movie with Uhura, Sulu, Ch- and Chekhov, and they you know shoehorn Scotty into a lot of things, but they really don't know what to do with anybody other than Kirk, McCoy, and and Spock, which you know that's the trifecta that was the heart, you know, the soul of the original series. But they look, yeah, you know, they just. Look like they well we brought these people back but here's two lines yeah you get another job after twelve years so hmm. congratulations now you can do the cons again <laughs> yeah there's that weird part after Spock arrives though where he like kind of goes into Obi Wan mode yeah like, like talking about how he can sense the logic of it you know from from afar and stuff and like I don't know 
He was never he was never really a mystic on the original show at all. No, but it it is kind of sad that uh, Spock had finally reached this level of uh, of logic that he searched for all his life, and then uh, he hears Eger call out to him, and then uh, it's you know at the very early not the very beginning of the movie but early in the movie uh, he's going through the ceremony and they're going to you know give him. Um, I don't know, a necklace that symbolizes his progression in the logic, whatever. And then he hears this, and then they're like, oh, never mind. You didn't do it, so you can never do it. All right, well, I guess we're done. Bye, Spock. Like, that sucks. That's harsh. You guys, the uh, Ilea character and, and Deckard, I mean, do you think they were abandoned too quick here? Or, like, here's our new blood you know, next generation type thing, and they're gone by the end of the film. Yeah, and the Ilea, like, spends half the movie as the voice of V'ger. Yeah, we never get to, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Why does the carbon unit wish to possess love? Yeah. Now, I'm, I was glad to see them go. <laughs> I, I was, I'm like, I didn't, um... We, we, didn't spend, we didn't spend enough time with them to really get a feeling for them. I think there were moments where uh, Decker was uh, wasn't bad, like you know, with his conflict uh, with Kirk, you know, about how he's the captain and this shouldn't be happening. He shouldn't be taking over the ship. You know, that kind of stuff is is good. But uh, and and him, of course, saving the ship from Kirk blowing it up through his lack of knowledge. But other yeah. than that. Uh, Decker doesn't do a whole heck of a lot in this movie. No, and it feels like there should be some kind of emotional impact with the the end with those two, the, the sacrifice Decker makes and Ilya. But we, I mean, we a don't get to know Ilya Ilya very much at all, and what we do know of her is pretty stale because that's just that personality. And then Decker, we spend a whole movie not liking, right? To make an yep. awesome sacrifice, it's like, well, there they go. It's like we just have to take Decker's word for it that they kind of had a relationship before this movie happened. They hug naked and disappear. <laughs> well, maybe if, maybe if that had happened like an hour earlier in the movie, that would have <laughs> been nice. Because they could really just... Try... How much time do you think they could trim out of this movie with effect shots? Like It was like, okay, we get the idea of what you were, you're trying to do. Because this thing is... Yeah, because this thing's over two hours long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, this is all on Robert Wise. This is nothing to, I mean, he's a a director, this is what he does. He's a, you know, big scope, epic director. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you bring him in to do, and that's what he did. It just was, I don't know if he was meant for space operas. Uh, What what did you guys think of, uh, when I I watched the movie, um, I hadn't watched this thing in ages, and I didn't remember that much about it. So when I started the movie, there's like uh, the screen is is black, and there's ninety about ninety seconds of music before the Paramount logo comes up, and I thought there was something wrong with my Blu-ray when I was watching hmm. it. But I mean that's part of uh, of the movie, and when I when I saw that, I thought, Rick, really, you're you're already behind, you're already moving slowly, and the movie hasn't even started yet. What what did you guys think of the the ninety seconds of of blackness before well, the movie started. It's just an overture, and I've seen a lot of old movies that have it, so that's what I just took yeah. it as. It's just I didn't, I wasn't really baffled by it or anything else, and I always remember that this movie has it. When I start it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. There's a little overture, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's a 
trademark of a lot of old movies, and you have a very old director. I mean, he mm-hmm. he only directed one more movie. Right. After I, this, I, I, ten I, years I, later. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it, uh, it was strange. Like I, I'm not opposed to uh, like a throwback to an earlier age. You know, like a the beginning of of Superman the movie. Um, you know, there's like like the curtains that draw back, and there's like all the old footage and and, and all that, and I, and I really like that. Um, with this, I don't know. It, it felt off to me. It, it it really kind of said like like this is our movie. It's slow and unnecessary. Uh, well, I mean, what the, the overture is usually a trademark of like the musical, where mm-hmm. it'll be a little thing that gives hints and teases of songs that come later in it, yeah. and just kind of warms it up. But this isn't a musical, and a overture doesn't really give away the you know the new Star Trek theme that we get. Yeah, a lot of it, should, it's just you know, yeah. there. And like in those musicals, there's usually like you know still images or you know graphics or you know paintings or whatever of stuff that's going to be happening in the story, and this didn't have that at all. I mean, is it just is this looking into the emptiness of space? Is right, that what? Uh, <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats, please. I guess. I just I think there's a lot of I, I noticed a lot of rewatching a lot of like janky bits of the script. I mean it's Roddenberry, it's Harold Livingston, a guy who wrote mainly T V shows like uh Mission Impossible and Have Gun Will Travel. And then uh, Alan Dean Foster, the fantasy novelist who came up with the story, which is really weird. Because usually his stories are a lot more original than this. Yeah. Um just I and I don't know. I just had a lot of problems with logic in the script about why they would send like one ship to this giant thing and why how, you know just a lot of questions in the script as it, as the movie spun along. Even as a kid watching it, I was kind of like confused by things. So just doesn't it feel like it has like a real purpose to bring Star Trek back. It's like this is what we got brought back for. Yeah, it's like the best thing about it was that they they brought everyone back. That was like the the main thing. You know, not that they were doing anything that was exciting or. Or anything but staring out windows at a lot of the points, or in the one the one sequence with Nimoy where he's out in the uh, spacesuit, having this like yeah. David Bowman moment or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that seemed to go on forever in a day too. Most obvious callback in the movie. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You were list, you know, talking about all the people involved with it. I thought it was interesting that like like Isaac Asimov was a consultant on this movie. I, I didn't. I didn't know that until I saw it in the credits. I thought that's that's wild. Like that's another like big important sci-fi you know, person, and, and and this was the the end result. I just wonder like how much he actually consulted on this movie. I uh, might have had a space question for him. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, there's no sound in space. That's fine. Did uh, Jerry Goldsmith end up doing all the scores for these movies? I think he did a, a lion's share of them, if not all. I mean, his sound is the... Right, but I mean, I know he did the Next Generation TV show. This is the the first time that we hear that, uh, that that's new Star Trek theme that you hear at the end of Next Generation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says here he did that, that uh, and then went on to Next Generation from there, so... Yeah, that's one of the, the good things about this. The music is one of the good things about this movie. Although, <laughs> it's funny when... The Enterprise is leaving the dock, and of course, it's another one of those super slow effect shots. The the this uh, new Star Trek theme comes up, and this the tempo matches the speed of the ship, very slowly moving. Yeah. Like, 
You know, it's funny, too, is like the opening credits, like, oh, here we go, big opening, oh, white text on black screen. (laughs) It's like a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, very much so. Another strength it has is it's got really good cinematography, which we get Mm -hmm. beaten to the ground, but um, they ended up, like, using stuff from this to save money on Wrath of Khan. They, right. they would. I think they bought. I think they pieced the score of Wrath of Khan together from materials with from the motion picture, and there are, are uh, effect shots from the motion picture used in Wrath of Khan. That, but they're like reversed. Is what they did to make it look different. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the start, the Enterprise shots in Wrath of Khan are from this movie, and also significantly shorter. Which yeah. is a nice plus, right? And, I mean, a much, much uh, director with a much kickier style too. I mean, Nicholas. Yeah. One another one of the good things about this movie is feature is like trying to deal with its existence. You know, I think there's a, a line somewhere in here where it, like like Spock bonds with it or, or or whatever the heck, and he uh, he can sense that Viger is asking if there is there nothing more and is this all that I am and I. I don't know. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, that's a big question. That it's just this uh, thing that this satellite that was just shot in the space just to collect whatever and through um, landing on this biological uh, machine planet, it grew uh, a consciousness and awareness of what it was and what its goal was. And I don't know. I think that I think that was a, a neat concept for this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. There's, there's strengths in this movie. It just wasn't put together. It's it's definitely well, less than the sum of its parts. <laughs> as yeah, to yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of good moving parts here. There's you know, the the original cast. You know, obviously, it still has the chemistry together. There were you know some good ideas here. There's a lot of fan service in here too. I mean. Yeah, like the Klingon mm-hmm. captain was played by Mark Lennard, who played, you know, Sarek in the original um, Star Trek. You had, like, writers like Joe Trimble and, and David Gerald and Susan Sackett, all as uh, members of the crew. The kid whose parents may actually named him James T. Kirk when the show was on back in the day, wasn't it? And you got all the fans in the scene where Kirk addresses the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. That was, mm-hmm. like, all the fan, like, uh, most of the fan club at the time. Right. So, I mean, that it's it's weird, like there's that that kind of like low level fan service at least, you know. What um what did you guys think of the ending? You know, after Alana and, and Decker, they become one, and Vader uh, goes away and all that, and, and, and then um you know at, at, at the end they're asking Kirk like oh what sh- how should we report them like oh they're just missing, <laughs> and then it's like well what do we what what do we do now and uh, where do we go now and Kirk says out there that way and he just kind of waves his hand nonchalantly and (laughs) like like it doesn't it doesn't matter uh here's the thing though that's not his ship he has no right to take this like anywhere other than back to earth but he's he's taking command like this is um it's not mutiny i don't know He, he he abducts the ship more or less and there doesn't seem to be any repercussions for it at all. Yeah, it's because well, it's Kirk. because it's because the human adventure is just beginning. Uh, Ooh, the human adventure is just beginning. 
Yeah, when I saw that at the end of the movie, I'm like, up yours, movie. Like, don't. <laughs> you, you dragged me along for over two hours of little to nothing, and then the human adventure is just beginning. Like, it's one of those things that is supposed to sound profound, but it, it, it's not really attached to anything, so it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it was the, it was the tagline on all the, on the posters and the trailer for the movie. Yeah. And if you, I mean, it's so funny, like, the, the very similar scene played much better later when you see it, like, uh, you know, where, where to now, Captain, is, you know, second star on the right, straight till morning. Yes. You know, I, mean, yes, I like that. Yeah. That, that's that has panache, you know, that has, that has flair. You know, this is just like, eh, out there, whatever. Well, I'm busy. Shat- Shatner mm-hmm. played it better, too. Yeah. In that one, yeah. He had this yeah. little boy boyhood, like, look in his eye when he said it. Right. Yeah, this one's just like, oh, I don't know, hit the gas. Let's see where let's see where we go. I don't you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe I'll bang some green broads. Let's just let's just get out there. I guess we're lucky this movie did well enough that we got to the better movies in this series. Yes. Yeah. I mean this movie it was a hit. Yeah. It did make money. It just didn't I mean, didn't please everyone. Most people. It wasn't. It didn't make Star Wars numbers, which I, I'm sure Paramount was hoping for. So you're saying and this w- is the BV Superman, the Batman v Superman of its day? It's like it did well, but not well enough. And possibly, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it would take uh, was it, three years to the next one, which was, I guess, about the, the amount of time that, yeah. that you'd yeah. see between movies. But then they started turning them out a little bit quicker. And the budget was smaller on the second one than the first. Yeah, they did cut the budget a bunch on the second one. But it made, well, they, it made well, for a better movie, could. though. You know? Yeah, it did. And they, they brought in better... I mean, they bo- uh, booted Roddenberry out and wound up you know, getting the movie people wanted. Well, we don't have 45 minutes of model shots. That's going to help <laughs> <laughs> the budget a lot. Right. I mean, yeah, they, they focused on... I mean, the next one would focus on... Uh, the characters, like what we wanted, and and give them personal stories, personal drive, and where they were at in their lives, and to model off of. Well, yeah, the the second one started with uh, with Chekhov. You know, he got, yeah. you know, he got more screw time in that one than he got in this one, and yeah. they got him. I, they got him to have his injury right away in the second. Yeah. Whenever he yeah. This he'll be, he'll be injured immediately. <laughs> Star Trek 5 tapes left? Where is the Star Trek 5 video? You got Star Trek 5, the final frontier. Please. Any Star Trek 5s? Ooh, thank you. Great. Thanks. Fabulous. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Would you happen to have Star Trek 5? Yes, sir. Star Trek 5, the final frontier. So tell your dealer you want to see it. Now we switch gears over to Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This featured the directorial efforts of Kirk himself, William Shatner, and had had the crew plus David Warner's first Trek appearance. Uh, This one has Captain Kirk and crew must deal with Mr. Spock's long-lost half-brother. Never mentioned before or since. (laughs) Who hijacks the Enterprise for an obsessive search for God at the center of the galaxy. Spoiler, God looks like the Trevelocity gnome. This one, yeah, uh, coming off the heels of the most successful Star Trek movie uh, at the, until the the reboots, the or you know, fresh start series uh, with uh, Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, which was uh, Leonard Nimoy's second directorial effort, and Shatner stepped in and said, "Hey, I want to direct one of these." So we start off with them camping and saying, "Row, row, row your boat." 
Campdown Races. Yeah, this uh, movie definitely. Movie definitely. It tries to piggyback off of the last one's um, success in the humor department to less degree of success. Because, I mean, Star Trek Four was, I mean, right. the comedy of all the movies. The fish out of water story with all of them going to the present time. Uh, San Francisco, was it? Yeah. Yeah, double dumbass yeah. on you. And people loved it. I mean, people mm-hmm. who don't, people don't even know Star Trek know the one with the whales. But that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And so this was the big follow-up to it. So I'm sure there was a, you know, studio being like, make it like the last one. Whatever you do. Sure. Not, Not quite. quite. And a lot of it falls flat. It's actually more like the first one. They go off to find out this mysterious entity that's you know beyond them or whatever. Yeah, there's very interesting parallels. Uh, Except the person that steals the ship this time isn't affiliated with uh, Starfleet. Right. right. This one has a very uh, has a Mad Maxi type feel with the planet, the Nimbus Three that they visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it starts off mysterious, yeah, like yeah, you I, know. I do so like the opening, like uh, it, the with oh, what's his name, Cybok. Cybok. Lawrence Wakandol. It has an interesting start to it, but I mean, there's just as is the M- Enterprise uh, is condition in the movie is you know very much how this movie feels. Like the Enterprise is all wonky, not functioning right, bunch of weird stuff happening to it, and that's. Like how this movie is going. It's like you're to, old, you know, old reliable, but it's not working too well. Used to hit it sometimes, like it's a Millennium Falcon or something. Yes. <laughs> I think it's also it, telling no. if you go to the IMDb page for this uh, movie, the only trailer that's available is a commercial for the VHS version. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, is that commercial still include a Scotty hitting his head? Yes. No, it does, does it? No, it's just people at a counter asking oh, yeah, for yeah, And right. then Scotty okay. beams in Scotty and asks for Star Trek V on uh, VHS. Oh, I remember just um, th- like every trailer always had Scotty hitting his head. Yep. And um, I don't know, but that kind of, again, that just feels like the movie. It summarizes the movie in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it honestly does. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Yeah, this was supposed to be a, a big movie in summer '89. It didn't. Uh, Batman came and stole its thunder. Because I, I think they were both June releases. The, the Star Trek Four before it had broken a hundred million dollars, which back mm-hmm. you know back then was a lot of money for a movie to make. And uh, that I, was. For a long time, that was the most uh, any of the Star Trek movies had made, I believe. Yeah, and now and then, of course, they. I'm sure, they, like you said, they had a lot of expectations going into this one. Yeah, this is a big one. And, Didn't... and a- after this one, they were done making movies, right? They were like, "No, we're not, we're not doing this again." And then, with an anniversary, was it the 25th anniversary that came up, and the popular the Next Generation, they ended up deciding to give the original crew a send off with Undiscovered Country, but I think after this one, they were just done. I think the plans were to, like, uh, reboot, actually. Weren't they? They were going to do a young uh, Academy film with young Kirk, young Spock. They talked about it, yeah. I'm glad yeah, they was... did the Undiscovered Country, though, because after Wrath of Khan, that's, oh, yeah. probably, that's probably my favorite. I love that movie. Yeah, it's 
That's my favorite Star Trek film. Yeah, That's a, I mean, it's great. Warner is great in it. Plumber, even Kim Cattrall is good in it. But uh, what I what I love so much about um, uh, the undiscovered country was uh, like you saw the origins of um, like the, the the Klingons becoming part of the Federation, which you know, you know, it, it seems like a big leap from the original Uh-oh. series to Next Generation, where you know Klingons are part of the Federation. It's kind of neat to see how that that transition yeah. that started, yeah. as opposed to here, here where you have the shoehorned in Klingons. Right. That you, mm-hmm. the movie is the same thing with or without them. You got a bunch of teenage Klingons going after Captain Kirk, and then they they have like a peace offering scene towards the end, which they do much better in uh, the next film. But yeah, the, the Klingons are here just because there's probably some studio mandate to have Klingons here. I think this the second film of the original uh, cast is the, the only one that doesn't have something to do with Klingons because at least uh, uh, like in the fourth one they're on a Klingon ship so yeah. there's something Klingon related within it but the second one's the only one if, if I remember that has nothing to do with Klingons period right yeah so make enough few- about enough about other movies we're talking about Star Trek Five yeah didn't Cyborg seem pretty emotional for a Vulcan he was like it was. If he would have been Spock's real brother, and you know they had the same mother, and he he just had much more human qualities overtaking mm-hmm. him, it would have been bankable. But he's his half brother, which I would imagine he, he'd have to be half brother from his father, not the mother's yeah. side. Mm-hmm. So he should. Well, right. he was all Vulcan, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, I don't know. Like, he's just, very. He's br- much it, more Spock from the cage than he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just funny. You know, here's this character never been referred to in any way in any of the canon, any not even the novels. You know, never. So all of a sudden, boom! Here's this guy. And Spock barely even wants to acknowledge it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This seems kind of weird. Is this where we talk about the Nichelle Nichols fan dance or? Oh God! Let's get. We gotta to talk it. about it at some point. The most yeah. uncomfortable scene in any of these movies. Grandma, no! <laughs> Sit down, Grandma. You've had too much to drink, Grandma. Oh. Oh. I love the reaction of all the guys. It's a woman. Like, like, how desperate are these guys? That I mean, she's you know she's fine, whatever. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not gonna talk she's about. Very you know, attractive woman for her, her, her age. Still. Yeah. Yes, but it's like. Um, I mean, it, they, it must have been the first one they've seen in a long time, the way that they react. And it's just, oh, it's so... It's all like silhouettes and shadows, too. Like, you don't really... This is this is that kind of movie it's where you're, you're telling somebody how much you love Star Trek, how cool it is, how people just don't know, and then they go to, like, okay, I'll check this out. And they rent Star Trek Five. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's like, well, I just, well, yeah, I can't. Well, it's, it's really out of place for a Star Trek movie, isn't it? Well, but that's it. this goes along with like the humor in this movie that just doesn't fit. Well, yeah. it's like he's desperately trying to give... Like, the other one, the first one doesn't know how to handle the ancillary crew members that are, you know, our main cast and just doesn't do much with them. This one doesn't know what to do with them either, but tries to, like, force more involvement on them so like yeah. you have the scotty and uhura you know romance and then uhura singing and dancing scotty just constantly you know 
bitching about things and trying to fix the ship. You even have some food and and check off, check off, yeah. randomly camping, not camping with Kirk and stuff, but in the woods, like it's it's just weird. Like it's trying to give those people something to do, but it, it's better off just leaving them alone because what they're giving them just it's embarrassing or just you know not very good. Right. Yeah. It spoke about how uh, you know the the comedy in this is kind of. Uh, falls flat. There, uh, I, I think there were a couple of lines that I did like when they were uh, when they're uh, Kirk and Spock and Bones are camping. And Spock, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he, he says something to infuriate Bones, and he says, "I liked him better before he died." I like that line. I thought that I thought that yeah. was. Well, well, I mean, a very Bones line. DeForest Kelly could always deliver. Yeah, no doubt. those lines. It, no matter how, it, even if they're awful lines, he delivers them with like class, like you know, expertise and just you know, he never mails it in. Uh, but it, it, this stuff with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy camping should be great, but it it's, ends up being some more of that like embarrassing stuff. It goes on a little long. Like yes. the, the row, row, row your boat stuff is just oh. Yeah, what should be like a real like bond? I don't mind scene. like it, it, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's nice to see them bond, but still, it does go on. I don't know, just, just a a bit too long. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's like we're going camping, and you're gonna watch. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like come on, camera, pull away, yeah. pull away, okay, pull away. Can... No, 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 we're here too long. Yeah, we're here too long. Like it's almost to the point where they, you know they're talking about eating beans. It's almost like, oh, are they going to start farting and laughing about it? Oh, well, beans and bourbon are an explosive combination, right? Yeah, as we as Kirk tells them. Uh, but uh, another one of the comedic moments that I actually think will work is uh, when Kirk, Spock, and Bones uh, they're they're brought back on the ship because they're they're being called out to get on the ship. Shore leave, shore leave is over, and they're. Fresh from camp, well, not fresh. They're 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 coming from camping, and Kirk is all you know, unshaven, and he says, "I could use a shower." Yes, I think that works really well. Mm-hmm. It, it it shows their familiar familiarity uh, with each other. Spock wouldn't be cracking jokes with anyone else, but Kirk or or Bones. It's just. I think that's I think that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it kind of sucks that this movie's not very good because this is the first time we get just like a, a regular Spock back since Wrath of Khan. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Because the first one he's kind of a dick. The second one, well. Well, I mean, I guess, it's the first time we have status quo with the crew, and mm-hmm. and they really and they really try to try mission. to double down with that character stuff for the crew in this episode too, and I don't think I don't think it works as well. You know, like. Like with the camping, like with you know, with the, um, like you said, the scene with uh, Chekhov and Sulu out out in the woods and stuff. I mean, like they tried to like mm-hmm. bank on that chemistry of that or- original crew. I think a little too much in this movie, rather than you know using it as something to propel a better movie. You know, right? Yeah. And this is the first. It's it's weird. It's like this is the first standalone movie since Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. Wrath of Khan was you know used to piggyback off to be the first chapter of a trilogy within the series, which, you know, Rathacon stands on its own, but, you know, Search for Spock is, you know, a middle, ends up being a middle chapter. You know, it, it does stand on its own, but it continues on, you know, things aren't finished, 
when it ends and continues on to Voyage Home. Whereas this one just, here we go, we're back, we're standing alone again. Essentially, maybe for the first time since the motion picture. Mm-hmm. And look how well it, it goes. <laughs> well, Jim, you said, uh, you called this an episode, and that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It, it just feels like a, like a stretched out episode of, of the TV show, and not a very good episode either. It's no. almost got the, the goofy nature to it, especially towards the end with, you know, feels like a '60s episode, right? At Almost times. like the th- third season Fred Freiberger episodes, like where they would meet right. the ancient gods of Olympus and shit like that. Um, yeah, they're the ones yeah. we don't like. <laughs> yeah, the really yeah. goofy ones um, where they're trying to compete with Lost in Space. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just didn't the the main plot through line. I didn't buy the the a lot of the, the chemistry stuff between the crew really seemed forced this time. I don't know if that's on you know Shatner's direction or on the screenplay, which again, no great shakes. Um, well, this uh, I think a lot of I, I, I don't know where all the blame goes with this, but I think certainly some of it is with Shatner because this whole movie really feels like an ego trip for him. You know, it, it just feels like uh, it just plays up how great Kirk is and how he can climb mountains. Yeah. And like how every it almost seems like every other actor or at least every other ship member is just there to serve uh, service for Kirk. Well, he tries to force and he tries to force upon stuff, and he's like, "Okay, I get it. People like Spock, so uh, I'll give him a half brother to have his involvement here." Yeah, and don't forget and, to read William Shatner's Tech War. Yes. <laughs> oh, how awesome would that be if Tech War? Was just like in uh, Kirk's uh, like room. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If it was just there? <laughs> I mean, they, they had a lot of budget cuts. You know, budget was supposed to be something for this movie, and then things started getting taken away. But there was a, there was a big, you know, part of his ego trip of things of legend was he was supposed to have like this battle with rock monsters mm. toward the end after the whole god thing, which they later um, paid homage to with uh, Galaxy Quest. Nice. And threw mm-hmm. it in there because of that, but I, I guess that was a real point of contention with Shatner. It was like he was adamant that this rock monster stuff, and he actually attempted to film it, but uh, it didn't. It did not look good. So, mm. <laughs> well, you know, it's pre CGI. They would have had to you know, puppet it up or something. Well, I think uh, elements of this uh, movie were left over from what the motion picture was supposed to be. Mm. Like, like at one point, uh, like. Kirk was supposed to have like a fist fight with Jesus on the bridge of the Enterprise. Sure. So that's kind of like like when they kind of morphed into well, they're meeting God in this one. Mm. Now well, I can see that being said, I, I, I would not. I'd be interested to see Kirk fight Jesus. I'd like to see who'd win that battle. In bare fisticuffs. Who, who, who's <laughs> directing? Right. Who's directing the film? Martin Scorsese. Okay, Kirk doesn't win, but uh, <laughs> if, Shatner, if Shatner's directing wins, it, then Shatner wins, of course. That's right. I can see Shatner like pitching this movie to to the executives. He's like, "We're going on the final frontier, the real going to look for God." You know, I can see him like giving the pitch with all his Shatnerian gravitas. You know, the ultimate adventure to find God, and then when God turns out to look like Gimli, <laughs> kind of disappointing. What? And it's got that that boring like like the title for this one, the Final Frontier. It's like uh, you know making one you know 
where no one has gone before, or something like that. Like it's late, like uh, like Bond recently, Spectre. I'm like, eh. Like I don't yeah. like that, like that, that title. It's like on the nose. And it's just like calling it's like it's just like calling a James Bond movie James Bond. Like okay, yeah, yeah. It's like you know with this final for two. Yeah, we we get that, but you know, your other movies had you know cool. T- it is a cool title, but well, where all they the other pull, t- all the other cold. titles tied into the story. I mean. Yeah. For Spock, yeah, exactly. Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those tied in directly to the story. Final Frontier like, like, could mean anything. You know, Undiscovered well, Country well, even tied into the story. You know. right. Well, here's mm-hmm. more Star Trek. <laughs> that's what that's. I mean, yeah, undis- yeah, yeah. That, that that's the that's the title basically of this. Yeah. But Undiscovered Country even was uh, the, the title they wanted for Wrath of Khan, which mm-hmm. you know fits that movie too. But and Nicholas Meyer kept it in his back pocket, and one of his things with coming back. For the sixth one was uh, I get to use my title that I wanted for Wrath of Khan. Now, we, we haven't talked too much about about, about we talked a bit about Spybok or whatever the I can never get his name correct. Reebok. You know, Spock's yeah yeah mm-hmm. Spock's mm-hmm. half brother. Um, what do you think about his pain uh, sucking power or mm-hmm. pain sharing ability? What do you what do you guys think about that? Mm-hmm. Really weird. Spock never did anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. The the McCoy stuff is is kind of strong, but see, maybe out of place for this movie. See, I always thought like the the Vulcans had a set like stuff that all Vulcans could do. You know, you could do the mind meld if you trained, or the nerve pinch or whatever. I didn't think they all had like different abilities. You know, mm-hmm. I just kind of figured they had that well, one the, set set you know core. Right? Yeah, they're not X Men. Right, they're not the X Men. They're Vulcans. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. We don't know if this is a of a Vulcan thing, or if it's just something that he's developed through his travels through the universe. We don't know. It's just he can do it. Well, everybody sits and witnesses it. Like, they should have, like, what they could have done is just had him, like, mind meld, and this was part of the mind meld. Like, yes, that, w- that would work very well. And, like, the, the audience would, you know, see inside Bones' head, and that would have been fine. But the way it's, it happens in this movie... Bones speaks to his father on his deathbed, but it looks like it's happening within the scene, and it looks like Kirk and Spock can also see it. However, at any other time, Spybok has removed the pain or uh, had people uh, face their fear, their their greatest fear, it, it doesn't seem like they're like within a scene. You know what I mean? Like It's all taking place within their head. And it's just really, I think it's odd and out of place. Like it, it, it's it's powerful. Bones has to deal with deciding that uh, you know to pull the plug basically on his father. That's a, a hard thing to deal with, and I, I think that's good. But the way it was approached was just really they really yeah. fumbled it. It's yeah. probably the best this meatiest material given to one of the crew members not named Kirk in the movie. But yeah, like you said, out of place and just a weird scene to have. Within that same scene, Spybok tries to take Kirk's pain. I face his fear, and Kirk's is like, "No, I, I need my pain. I, I don't want it taken away from me." And that that doesn't go anywhere. You know, it, it seems like there should be some kind of follow up to that. Uh, you know, where he has to mm-hmm. face his fear to overcome something. You want to unpack or... that for us, Kirk, so we can kind of get what you're saying because you need your, th- you know. I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of a, a st- kind of a strange way to leave it. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like a like a like a Chekhov's gun, you know, where 
it, it's just it's just a waste. Like, why was that even there? Like, something else could have happened. Uh, Spy Black never gets a chance to do anything to Kirk. They they get hit or they reach their destination. Somebody interferes. Just anything could have happened just to end that scene. It would have been fine. Instead, it's uh, I'm Kirk and I'm too good for you. It's, it just kind of it ends up being more of Shatner being great all the time. Hmm. Well, he's the director. He gets to write. Uh, <laughs> he gets to say what goes. And uh, if he wants himself to be great, then by God, he will be. And part of the, uh, the cloud monster stuff is partially his fault because uh, I think it was in his book uh, Up Till Now. I, I think that's the one, one of his several memoir books. He talks about like meeting with the special effects guys. So it's like, like I don't remember who, but like someone at Paramount or a producer or, or someone's like, like, I know this guy. He wants to do it. Let's go over to his house and meet him and talk about it. So they get they have a, like a, a very lovely meal and a great deal of wine and you know this the special effects guy they're talking to is like i got an idea and he dumps a bunch of ink or chemicals or whatever in a fish tank this is what i'm thinking and they're all you know gassed up like that looks great this is what we should do nice that's part of the reason we have that in the movie uh one of the things i do like is you know they're meeting their belief you know on their way to meet god what I what I uh, I like is uh, that they go to meet him, and they realize that he's bogus by saying like, "What does God need with a starship?" That's something I like. It just kind of reminds me of televangelist, you know, asking for money. What does right. God need with my money? What does God need with a starship? That's something I I, I like about this movie. No, I, I yeah I agree. That yeah that part was good. And you know you know who figured it out in question? It was Kirk. <laughs> How about that? It's because Look. of the. Uh, it's because he has his pain still. That's how he's able to do it. It's no response to friendship messages, sir. Shall I go to battle station, sir? Negative. We'll take no provocative action. Now comes the time in our episode where we are going to choose a winner. In this ultimate versus battle between Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So, Jim Dietz, Okay, uh, wins. since I can go with Star Trek... I can't pick Star Trek Nemesis as a dark horse. Uh, of, the, <laughs> of the two, I would have to say, if I had to sit down to watch one of these right now, I would watch the motion picture. Okay. Because there are things in there. It was as huge as a disappointment it was to me, as a disappointment it was to me as a kid. I, you know, rewatching it now, I see there are things in there that were kind of cool um, that just might have been overwrought, overdone, and uh, just overplayed in a lot of places. And uh, I can at least you know, think about the movie that might have been while I watch that, as opposed to The Final Frontier, which I didn't think there was enough there for me to think of a, a better movie that might have come out of that. So. What about the motion picture? Colin. Uh, well, this has uh, been one of the, the hardest. You know, we've had a couple of these versus episodes before, and this one was actually really tough to decide. Like, up until today, honestly, I was trying to debate which was better. The uh, the motion picture, it's um, you know, man, it's boring. It's just mm. boring. It is. It's it's just bloated. Well, not even. I don't bloated might not even be the right term, but it's too damn long. Yeah. Um, it, it, with with part five, I'm not bored, and it's shorter. And a, a big part of what uh, makes a, a, a movie good uh, for me is if I'm willing to rewatch it. And I've watched. 
uh, part five multiple times, and I think I've watched uh, the original. I, th- I think this was my first time actually sitting through the whole movie. So uh, I'm gonna go with uh, with part five. I prefer part five to the motion picture. Oh wow, Brandon, what about you? It comes down to me. Uh, before before this, I had a pretty you know I, in this battle of which ones which I, I had a pretty uh, concise answer for for it. But this time it wasn't so easy to pick. But I in the end it, it goes back to where I'm gonna fall back on with why you know star trek five is a, to me it's a complete embarrassment and i'm just too much head scratching and face palming it's it I, I cringe sitting through it and and just like oh my gosh i hope someone who hates star trek never sees this movie star trek the motion picture is dull flat boring but where my appreciation for it can come is in the craft and some some of the visuals while the visuals may stay on the screen way too long i do enjoy i do enjoy some of them it's got a great score and cinematography yeah when it comes down to it i'll i'll take the quote-unquote competent filmmaking in a hair over the the embarrassment of of five i don't want i don't like sitting through either of these films i'll make it clear of that um but i i, I guess i can if i if i made pros and cons the pro list comes out more in favor of the motion picture than it does Star Trek V. So, it looks like in this 2-1, to one, uh, Star Trek the motion picture ekes out Star Trek V. I will, I will mention that our, our, our guest who you know we recorded with uh, before for this episode, Randy, his favorite Star Trek movie of all time is the motion picture, uh, believe it or not. And so that would have been his vote. But yeah, it's a, that's why I would I was bringing him on the show because that was a very unique perspective. Uh, but that would have been his vote. So it would have been the same. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I would have ended up being the same. I wasn't sure, like like uh, like you, I was back and forthing this until we recorded the episode and got to this this portion. So what you're saying is that I'm the only one brave enough to stand up for what they believe in. <laughs> I, I guess so. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Not to mention the most important reason for climbing a mountain. And that is? Because it's there. Uh, Captain, I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Frank Henenlotter's 1990 gem, Frankenhooker. Bianca Elaine of Watch These Films is hopefully going to be guesting with us on this one. As you remember, she was originally going to be on the Splatter University episode. Uh, but uh, had some conflicts and wasn't able to come on. But uh, she re- rescheduled and picked, handpicked Frankenhooker, which is awesome because, Cullen, I can't wait to talk about this movie. It's one of the finest movies about a reconstructed hooker ever made. It's fantastic. Uh, the three of us, I, I guess we have uh, some expertise coming into this uh, <laughs> this uh, discussion. As you uh, discussed it, you had an episode on A Touch of Crass, that covered it. I, I wrote a piece on it during my Frankenstein retrospective, and Bianca, on her show Watch These Films, uh, has talked about it. So if you want to prep for some of our opinions on it, uh, you can go ahead and backtrack Touch of Crass. You can read Naptown Nerd, or you can go to uh, Watch These Films page and watch the YouTube video that Bianca has for it, where she does a great impression of Frankenhooker. 
Yeah, she looks um, very much like Frankenhooker, which is, I think, a compliment. Our episode has come to an end. I want to remind you of our contest, which uh, hopefully uh, maybe we can announce a winner on the next episode. But send your entries in by any means you prefer. Twitter, Facebook, comment, mail. But submit submit them, get them in. I'm going to uh, thank you for coming on the show, saving the episode, Jim. I was going to say thanks for having me on. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, What do you got going on at HHWLOD currently? Well, we're doing a DCTV podcast. We're covering Preacher over the summer. We're also doing a Justice uh, Animated uh, TV Viewing Club over the summer. We're going through and watching all the episodes of the Justice League uh, cartoon and and talking about them, having discussions while the rest of the shows are uh, on hiatus. Um, The Walking Dead TV podcast will be back in August, the end of August, uh, with the Fear the Walking Dead premiere. And I still do uh, Nothing's On, which is a uh, general discussion of TV and movies uh, news of the week. Uh, that's on the Taylor Network podcast. Now stay tuned for the trailer for Frankenhooker, the trailer that actually trails. the motion picture Frankenstein. In 1935, horror turned to terror with the bride of Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you... Want a date? Frankenhooker. Jeffrey Franken has a plan. I just want to bring him back. He has the ingenuity. We need female body parts. He has everything he needs, except the raw materials. Just hold still. Onion! Jeffrey's creation is alive. Looking for some action? Oh, yeah. She's sexy. Want a date? You going out? I'm on my way home, but uh, thanks anyway. I... And she's sutured to please. Listen, I'm looking for a very tall, attractive woman. She's purple. She's got fresh bars on her. She's in the bar! Now, a motion picture like no other. <laughs> A tender story of love and romance. A gripping tale of lust and revenge. <laughs> Frank and Hooker. Incredible. Some assembly may be required. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. Produced by Brad Shoemaker, edited by Brandon. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf, found on the freearchive.org website. The films in today's discussion are property of Paramount Pictures, and no infringement is intended. You can find more of Cullen's work on the Creative Zombie Studios Network and on Twitter at MyNameIsCullen. More of Brandon's work can be found on WeissOrBlue.com and can be found on Twitter at BTPeters. Please join us again in two weeks for the next episode of this silly-ass show. Now I'm supposed to pick the movie I like best out of the two? Okay. Suspense! (laughs) We had to leave to go think about it. He's like, hang on, I'm going to go pinch like, one that off. That was the perfect moment. He can't oh, do it. He that can't was... pick. 
you know what he's doing? He's going. Uh, <laughs> he's going to go get in the jacuzzi. He thinks better in a jacuzzi. 